About six years into their marriage, Sana and Adnan Akhand felt stuck. Their relationship was not where they wanted it to be. And it's not because something massive happened. No one cheated. No one was abusive. No, this is a story really about small day-to-day things and how they can snowball into something much larger until suddenly you're staring at an avalanche. Okay, maybe like a baby avalanche. But still, you're standing there wondering, wait, how did we get here? Like, we became hyper-aware of what we don't enjoy in married life. I felt like, oh my God, this is not the life I thought I was going to live. They both very much loved each other and wanted to stay together. But it was the most mundane, run-of-the-mill parts of married life that started to take a toll on them. Like, when it came to cleaning their apartment. His clothes everywhere. Oh my God. He will not, it's it's like impossible for him to just, like to hang his clothes basically. That's true. She hated that. And I think um, she's definitely a kitchen clean freak, whereas I'm just mm. a normal cleaner. And so she like, if I clean, as soon as I'm done cleaning, she's like, well, you didn't get this and you didn't do this. No, I would I'm never like, well, say anything. I, I would cle- just go and do it my way. That's true. And that was even worse, I think, because I was like, well, I already cleaned it. So, like, you're literally duplicating effort. <laughs> you didn't clean and the counters. It, it, yeah. So stuff like that, I was like, well, come on. Despite their differences when it comes to cleaning, they're the kind of couple who are each other's best friends. Adnan is the type of guy who seems to know a little bit about every single topic. His trivia knowledge and his dad jokes charmed Sana early on. Meanwhile, Adnan was taken by Sana's deep care for the people around her. She's the go-to friend when anyone needs advice. At the time, they were living in New York City, both kind of workaholics, supporting each other and making their career goals happen. But now, six years in, they sometimes felt like they weren't speaking the same language. I think that we're both saying two totally different things and not hearing what the other person is saying because we're both emotionally charged by our own feelings. And one topic they especially had a lot of feelings about was money. Money played a huge role in our relationship. We definitely had different outlooks on how finances will kind of work in our personal lives. Their relationship with money had this trickle effect on their marriage it would end up surfacing all these larger anxieties. And the same can be said with the chores, you know, the day-to-day bickering. They'd soon realize that that's not what they were actually fighting over. But it would take time and a huge shift for them to get there. We needed something drastic to get us out of the routine and to get back on track of these people that we fell in love with. I'm Rima Khreis, and you're listening to This is Uncomfortable. When it comes to marriage, there are these unspoken rules for what a good marriage looks like. And if it turns into a quote-unquote bad marriage, then there's a playbook for how to deal with that too. You know, couples therapy, vacations, and if all else fails, divorce. But what happens if your marriage isn't in an earth-shattering crisis, but also it's just not quite what you envisioned? Today on the show, how one couple navigated this messy middle. So I want to go back in time to um, the first time you all met each other. Could you just like walk me through that? I think it was 2013, but we have a mutual friend and they were having a housewarming party. And at the party, I, uh, 
you know, was was hitting on Sana pretty pretty aggressively to let her know that. Uh, <laughs> what were you saying? He said he was going to marry me one day. <laughs> what? And like it was the first time I met this random guy, and I was like, "You're a creep." <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is the appropriate response. Yeah, the feelings were not so mutual that first night, but then they ran into each other again at a club, and afterwards, Adnan asked her out, and this time, he was honestly just like the kindest coolest person in the world. She was a super fun, loving person, really happy, liked to joke around. Sana was 24 years old at the time and had always lived with her parents in a conservative, relatively religious South Asian household where dating casually wasn't really a thing. But neither Sana or Adnan were itching to get married. Sana says she wanted a different kind of life than what she'd seen growing up. I wanted to stabilize my career more than anything in the world. And I think I always saw people in the culture that like got married young and then had to give up their passion and their like careers in order to like have kids, raise a family. And my mom did that, obviously, you know, like a lot of our moms did. But after dating Adnan, that started to shift. Because meeting each other, without getting too cheesy here, it felt a little like fate to them. I don't know if I believe in soulmates, but if there were ever soulmates, I think he would definitely be mine. (laughs) In a city of millions, they'd met someone else with a similar background and upbringing who also craved something different. They both want to travel the world, they don't care to have kids, and they're both very career-oriented. Pretty quickly, they started to think, well, maybe marriage didn't have to be the end of those dreams. There was every part of me that was like, you're too young, you're not ready, like, just keep it casual. But then there were parts of me where I was like, man, I don't want to do anything else but hang out with him. About eight months into dating, Sana's parents found out about their relationship and were eager for them to get married. So one night, they invited Adnan over for dinner. And when I met them, they were like, oh, well, let's tell your parents and uh, why don't we set a wedding date? And then... Um, we were like, you know what, let's just do the right thing so that they have respect for our relationship. No, I get that. I mean, because I come from a Muslim family, too, yeah. right? Because both of you, your families are Muslim. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get it. It's like uh, they have different expectations for how quickly a relationship should Yeah, and they, you know how it is. <laughs> they're like, even if you want to go on a date together, you have to have your nikah done, which is like the religious contract marriage. Yeah. You know, it's always funny. I always think like, oh man, imagine um, being more like an American culture and you could just openly tell your parents, hey, I'm dating someone new. I cannot imagine. Imagine being able to like (laughs) live with your partner before getting engaged or married. I know. That's not, I I can't imagine that. That would never happen. (laughs) Not long after that dinner, they got engaged. And in May of 2015, about a year after their first date, Sana moved out of her parents' house and she and Adnan got married. We just thought, you know, we'd get married and now we get to live together and, like, basically our dating would just be 24-7. I thought it was just going to be a bunch of fun. <laughs> they had pretty clear ideas about what they wanted and didn't want in a marriage. Our parents come from, you know, of course, being South Asian, a lot of the marriages are um, arranged marriages. And they kind of, like, grow to love each other. And they were, from the beginning, in very traditional gender roles. And um, I just always said to myself, like, I don't want to have a marriage where, like, you know, it's husband, wife, I do X, Y, Z, you do A, B, C. And Sana felt the same way. She also didn't want them to be her mom and dad in a lopsided marriage where they just learned to tolerate each other. 
So yeah, I guess for me, it was more like constantly feeling like it's my job to make sure that we don't fall into the rut that we actually ended up falling into. <laughs> Sana and Adnan moved in together in an apartment in Manhattan. Adnan was working in accounting, and Sana was in between jobs doing contract work on the side. And at first, it did feel like fun. It was like this never-ending sleepover. The first few months, they'd go out to dinner and then come home and laugh together at this reality TV show about newlyweds called Married at First Sight. Since they'd only dated less than a year before getting married, they found watching these couples tying the knot at first sight weirdly comforting. Everything was going pretty smoothly. Really, it wasn't until their first conversation about money when things started to slowly shift. It began one night when they were both sitting in the living room, each of them on their laptops. And he was showing me how he budgets his money and all the categories that he puts money into. And it was the first time in my life that I've even seen anyone budgeting money. My dad never has in his life. So in that moment, I was like, whoa, you don't budget? (laughs) And then Sana said something like, I kind of don't, to be honest. If I have money in my account, I spend it. And if I don't, I just don't. That's crazy. Like, that is not, that's not budgeting. That's, uh, that's just, I don't even have a word for that. The account in me is going crazy. Sana grew up in a pretty wealthy family that paid for her college. So for much of her life, she didn't have to worry about finances, and she didn't have any debt. Meanwhile, Adnan's family was working class. He had about $30,000 in student debt and 20000 in credit card debt. Because he's big into managing his finances, and he's an accountant, Adnan made a proposal that seemed like the right thing at the time, the logical thing. He told her, I think that it makes most sense for us to join our bank accounts and I could take care of all our finances. It'd be easy. They'd throw all their money into a joint account and Sana, she'd have access to everything. But Adnan would be like the family CFO, managing all the bills. That's the only way I've seen marriages operate in my life. And I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That was like kind of the moment where it started off like super lighthearted and joking, but we didn't really fully realize like how this would start like putting those stereotypical gender roles on our marriage. Because Adnan was not only managing the money, at that point he was also the primary breadwinner. He had a full-time job, whereas Sana's contract work was less predictable. So most days she was at home searching for a job. And with that came these unspoken expectations. Until one night, they were spoken aloud. He actually came home late from work one day, and um, the laundry was piled up. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned, oh, like, you couldn't do the laundry? At the time, Adnan was commuting two hours each way to work. And most nights, he'd come home at like 10 p.m., feeling totally exhausted. I was just, saw the laundry and I was like, man, you know, like I'm out here five days a week, 14, 15 hour days, and you can't take care of the laundry. Like he mentioned earlier, Adnan doesn't have this rigid outlook of, you're my wife, you need to do these household duties. To him, this wasn't about gender roles, more just like division of labor. If we were both working, then we'd both split responsibilities. But while you're not, you know, going to work every morning, um, you know, can you at least do the housework? But maybe because this tapped into her worst fears about marriage, 
Sana did not take his comment in that spirit. She took it as a sign her marriage was turning into the very thing she'd never wanted. That was like the first moment that I felt shock of like, wow, he actually does expect me to step into these traditional roles of taking care of a house while Mm. he is providing for us financially. This moment, it made her question herself. I was like, wait, am I doing things wrong? Like, I'm a wife now, so maybe he's right. Maybe I should be stepping into that role that, you know, I've been trained to do my entire life by my parents. You cook, you clean. So that's what she did. After that comment, she made sure to go grocery shopping to clean the house and cook dinner before he got home. And this fact that she wasn't contributing as much financially, it rattled her. And it brought her back to how she felt growing up around her dad. He'd always financially supported her, bought her her car, her cell phone, paid for her college. Being so financially taken care of by my dad, but not given any emotional love by him, was something Mm. that really wounded me. So I... When I got married to Adnan, it was like when he was providing more financially for the house, it really triggered all of that trauma where I was like, I definitely don't want to fall back into these habits where it's like, oh, he is taking care of me financially, so I'm not, I'm not allowed to ask for more emotionally. She was terrified of recreating this dynamic with Adnan, striving for his affection only to get it through financial support. And so early in their marriage, almost every purchase she made, every financial decision, felt burdensome and often filled her with shame. Like there was the time she went out to happy hour with her sister. And it was like $70 or something like that. And I was freaking out. I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to see this on the credit card. And he's at work and I'm out having fun. And I felt so incredibly guilty. But the thing is, Adnan wouldn't actually get mad at her $70 happy hour bills. I've never once said, no, don't go do that. Don't go do this. Like, as long as we stay in budget for the month, we'll adjust, you know, based on our spending. Um, But she, like, just was, like, had that mentality. And so she couldn't, she, like, literally couldn't spend money that first year. Meanwhile, Adnan was also struggling with his own financial anxieties, also stemming from his childhood. Money was always tight in his family, and his dad set a really extreme example of how to be financially conservative. He worked 70 hours a week, two jobs, and never took a vacation. And now, as the quote-unquote breadwinner of his own family, Adnan was basically falling into old family patterns himself, being frugal with money, even though he didn't always need to be. Like, every decision we made to buy anything in the house, like, I would always, we'd talk about it. We'd, like, yeah. talk it to death. I remember we were buying um, an espresso machine that I really wanted, and it was, like, $500. And we just talked about it for two months. He's like, I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if it's worth it. And I'm like, babe, if it's yeah. going to make you happy, just do it and get it. Like, Sana would always feel pressure, like, oh, it's his money. And I always felt pressure, like, oh, it's our money. And so I never... Um, like, spent the money in my way either. Taking a step back, I think it's really interesting thinking about what was happening here. Like so many people in long-term relationships, they were both seeing their marriage through the lens of their fears, both worrying about what the other person expected, wanting to make sure they didn't disappoint, and both influenced by the examples their parents set for them. And that pressure they both put on themselves, in a way... That created a lot of their problems. 
kind of like the self-fulfilling prophecy. Throughout the course of their marriage, the dynamics did shift a bit. Sana did eventually get a job at a company where she was making good money, and Adnan started doing more of the household chores. But Sana had fallen into this routine of doing the bulk of them, like she was always the one cooking. Meanwhile, Adnan would say something like, I never asked you to cook this much to clean. Like, I like going out to dinner. Um, you, you're putting that all on yourself. And then I felt, like, underappreciated, and I was like, what the hell? You're not even happy that I'm doing this stuff? <laughs> Meanwhile, they were spending nearly 24-7 together. They shared the same hobbies, same friend groups. They felt like their individual selves were slowly dissolving into their identity as a couple. And that was something that I was like, whoa, like, I have no life outside of our marriage. <laughs> it just felt like I wasn't in control of my own life. Over the years, they tried to find ways to resuscitate their marriage. Like, they started going to concerts with their friends where they did drugs and danced. And they also left New York for a year to travel the world. But as it goes with resets, they can be hard to sustain. Those fleeting moments of joy and relief, well, they're just fleeting. So their frustrations started to turn into disillusionment with marriage, to the point where their desires for something different became too big to ignore. You swipe it under the rug until one day you trip and fall and then all these things come out and you're like, oh shit, we have problems. Yeah. What they decided to do about those problems, that's after the break. The straw that broke the camel's back started out as a good thing. About five years into their marriage, Sana decided to quit her corporate job and start her own business, which Adnan supported. But, you know, startups can take a while to get off the ground. And even though Sana was doing some consulting work on the side, the longer it took for her business to take off... I took that as, well, then I have the pressure of making sure I have a high-paying job to make sure we can afford the life we want to live. And then she would say, and I didn't well, I don't care, care about, about our all style this stuff. of life. Yeah, like, I don't need the luxury building. I was like, I could literally live in a shack yeah. and make my business happen. And Adnan would say, well, that's nice and all, but we also have to invest our own money to get your business started. And she would say... It was my consulting money that I put into my business. Up until then, they had pooled all their money and spent it jointly. But at this point, it started to feel like that might not be the best plan. Like, when she would say stuff like that, well, it's my consulting money that's doing that, I would say, all right, well, like, cool. If that's how you want to view it, like, let's just, how about instead of worrying about the money, we just separate it, and that way we worry about our own finances individually. So that's what they decided to do. They'd no longer have joint finances. Instead, they'd each contribute to the bills, but have their own bank accounts and live separate financial lives. Like, it was the first step where we realized, wow, like, we don't have to have everything commingled so much. And that was, like, the first taste of, quote-unquote, freedom we had. It was the most freeing thing in the world. But even with this compromise, their marriage was still not where they wanted it to be. It still felt stale and routine, and it was taking a toll on them especially on Sana. I was in a really dark place in terms of, like, um, just 
feeling really disconnected, really unheard, unseen, undervalued. And I was just really, really unhappy and bickering with Adnan about every little thing. Finally, it all came to head one day when she was writing in her journal, something she'd do to help sort through her feelings. That day, she wrote about some of her childhood dreams. About how, like, when I was 13, I had a dream of having my own business, having my own apartment in New York City, and, you know, having a my friends to go out with and a guy that I'm dating who I love and we hang out and go on date nights. So it was funny because as I was writing that, it was, I, it just like, I felt this like really strong feeling of regret that I never mm. got to live that. She was now in her late 20s questioning how life had led her to this point when she'd always imagined something different for herself. She'd gone from living with her family who she was financially dependent on to being in a marriage where nearly everything she did was with Adnan in mind. I forgot that I'm a whole human that I deserve to be taken care of and catered to by me. As she was connecting these dots, her mind started spiraling. It felt like there were only two options. Stay in this marriage and risk feeling resentful or get a divorce. And like my head doesn't go to any in-betweens. There's no like mm-hmm. middle ground. It's all or nothing in this head of mine. She'd quietly agonize over what to do. And then one day, after journaling, she went to Adnan and shared how she felt. I was like, hey, like, you know, I find it so interesting that I had this dream that I never got to, like, live. And then Adnan was basically like, well, I never want to be the reason to that you don't get your childhood dream. I think initially I... You know, it was kind of like what Senna was saying, where I was like, well, I would never want to get in that way if that's a dream of yours. And Adnan could relate to what she was saying. He'd never quite lived independently either. He always had a roommate. And now with the pandemic, they both felt like they were living on top of each other, feeling completely exhausted by all the small day-to-day negotiations they had to make, both living and working together. And after having just decided to separate their finances, it made them think, well, maybe there is a third option here. And that's when Adnan made a huge proposal. So I said, um, you know, while we were talking about it, like, why don't we actually give this a shot? Why not try it out and get our own places? Basically, he's like, we love each other. We want to stay married. So let's do that. But why don't we just live apart? Senna's first response was... Wait, what do you mean? Like, you think that we can actually just have two different apartments in New York City and live apart while still being married? Like, what are people going to think? Isn't this crazy? (laughs) You know, sometimes you got to just do what you want to do. I mean, who cares? It's our life. What are we going to tell people? They went to sleep that night, not totally sure if their half-baked idea would actually happen. But over the next couple weeks, Sunna started casually looking around, and she found an apartment in New York City on the Upper East Side that she loved. I was like, wait, I really like this apartment. I really think that Mm -hmm. it's perfect. And he's like, apply for it. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like, are we really doing this? So she applied for it, and she got it. And I told him... And now it's real. Yeah, it's real. I was like, I freaking got the apartment. And like, there's (laughs) nothing standing in our way now of actually doing this. 
She accepted the apartment. And then I think when we got the boxes and I started to pack, that's when it was like, whoa, this is weird. Mm. Yeah. Oh, was it emotional? Like, were you all... Oh, my God. Crying? Arima, like, my face was <laughs> swollen for, like, <laughs> two months. To be clear, they were not opening their marriage. They wanted to stay monogamous. But still, it was going to be this huge shift in their marriage. And that brought up a lot of anxieties. What if we drift apart? What if yeah. we love living alone and we realize that we're, you know, just drifting apart? What if we, you know, once we are apart and we do have that independence to see, like, who we are and who we want to be, like, what if we realize we're not right for each other anymore and that we have grown apart? On October 19th, 2021, Sana moved out. And with all the boxes and suitcases surrounding them, they made an earnest promise to each other. We were offering each other a complete clean slate without a past version of us going into living apart together. We were like, all right, I do not know you at all, and I'm going to get to know you all over again. I'm offering you a chance to even change who you've been and become whoever you want to be, and I will get to know that person all over again. That first night, Sana slept on a cold air mattress in a small studio apartment. It wasn't long before Adnan also moved into a new place. They both downsized their standard of living to be able to afford two apartments in New York City. So instead of paying more than $4,000 a month on their luxury high-rise apartment, they pay roughly the same for two places. The first few weeks were tough, especially for Sana. She'd find herself late at night crying, wondering if they made the right decision. But then she'd remind herself... I did this to make 13-year-old me proud. I'm not going to sit here and cry. I'm not going to sit here and sit and like and, and worry about what my relationship looks like. Like I was like, imagine I just woke up and I'm living my dream life. What would I do? She decided that what her 13-year-old self would do is explore. She started wandering New York City, doing things just for the pure joy of it. I remember the first time I just like walked like aimlessly mm-hmm. and then I came across the steps of the Met and I was like, oh my gosh, I live in like the most iconic neighborhood. And it was such an emotional moment for me to just sit there mm-hmm. for like an hour and do nothing but people watch. Oh, it's such a like, simple thing, but yeah, I can imagine that being like a big moment. Yeah. And then I remember the first time I took myself out on a date and like spent money on like a beautiful steak and a glass of wine. And I was like, wow, like I have never just like spent time and money on myself like this before. Her own time and her own money to make her own life as she chose. And then she discovered just the smaller joys of living by yourself for the first time. Like, she could freely dance in her apartment or read a book without the TV humming in the background. She started painting. She created a skincare routine. It's like she could finally exhale to do the things she'd always wanted but hadn't given herself the permission to do. Meanwhile, Adnan started doing more stuff for himself, too. He joined an intramural bowling team, took up jujitsu, biked around the park, and started buying things more guilt-free. And also, he could leave his dirty dishes in the sink. Or not. You know, didn't matter. But they both say the hardest part was that they just missed each other's company, just hanging out on the couch after a long day at work. 
And um, like practically speaking too, like Sana is a great cook. So I definitely miss eating home cooked meals. Like most of my food Aww. now comes from takeout and stuff. So I think like stuff like that, like the comforts that come with um, another person. Like I made him talking. coffee this morning in bed and it's like things like that I really enjoy, right? Like it's those little things that you do for each other to show your love and appreciation for each other that you don't really get to do as much nor as often as you'd like when you're mm-hmm. living apart. I mean, you gave him coffee in bed today just because y'all are in the same apartment to do this interview. It's our anniversary today. <laughs> oh, is it really? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Happy anniversary. How many years? Seven, officially. Oh, wow. So it seems like you all go to each other's places every now and then for like... Every weekend. They usually do their own thing during the week, maybe see each other one or two times, but they're still texting and calling each other. Like at the end of the night, they'll have a phone call before they go to sleep, in which inevitably Sana will say something like... I hate sleeping alone, but I can't <laughs> wait to see you. No, I feel like you say this every night. Absence was indeed starting to make their hearts grow fonder. They started to rekindle the initial excitement from when they first started dating. Like they would schedule these intentional full-on dates like they did in the beginning. What did it feel like to date again in that way? Oh my gosh, (laughs) life-changing. Like even just getting ready to go on a date and knowing that he has absolutely no clue what I look like right now. And then like showing up to the restaurant together and like, Going from like, you know, all week not seeing each other to a dressed up Friday night, it's so nice. And she says part of the reason it was so nice is because they no longer feel totally exhausted by the daily negotiations that can come with cohabitation. But also with some space, Sana says they both started to realize something about all that bickering they'd been doing before. Once I started living alone, is when I, w- I started to feel these moments of like, whoa, I was doing a lot that I didn't have to do just because I thought I had to. I feel like that's what shifted, was going from like putting the relationship first to putting, to putting ourselves, ourselves first. first. And then once we did that, we realized mm-hmm. like that's what the other person wanted the whole time was like, don't sacrifice and compromise so much, you know, quote unquote, for the relationship when you, you know, the other person just wants you to do and have what you want. And living apart, it was especially clarifying for Sana. I was like, oh, the things that bother me about him aren't really about him. Mm. <laughs> and now I've become like mentally aware of like my triggers where I'm like, whoa, like this isn't my burden to carry. This is my parents. Like I can let this go. <laughs> it started to feel like they could address their differences more calmly and routinely. Now I'm like, oh, that's so interesting that you view it that way. And I don't have to feel the need to, like, defend myself anymore. Mm-hmm. And just saying, like, hey, if there's something in the moment that, you know, you weren't happy with, just address it. Because it's a lot easier addressing one small thing than, like, 20 big things in one conversation. It's not perfect. You know, they still have things to work on. But with the space and time they gave themselves, they were able to get perspective on the actual roots of their arguments. And with that perspective, some of the heat has gone out of the fights. And when they're bickering about the dishes now, it's more likely to actually be about the dishes instead of unspoken expectations or fears. Now, some of you might be hearing all this and thinking, okay, well, what they're doing is not some earth-shattering concept. And yeah, more and more, we're seeing people rethink the institution of marriage. 
there's a small but growing trend of people in long-term relationships living apart. In fact, there's now even a phrase for it, L-A-T, or living apart together. According to the census, the number of couples living apart, which includes military couples, grew about 5% over the last decade. For some couples, they prefer the alone time, or it's what's best for their career. Or for others, it's just less emotional work, and in a way, more connecting. Not having to worry about their sleeping patterns, or if they'll get annoyed that you didn't put the laundry away. Some people insist it actually helps their relationship be more romantic. And this is all assuming, of course, that you're even able to afford living apart. In some big cities like New York, you usually see the opposite thing happening. Couples moving in prematurely just to be able to afford housing. For Sana and Adnan, even though they've liked this arrangement, they do not want it to be permanent. In fact, they're planning to move to Los Angeles this summer and move back in together. But when it comes to their finances, they still want to keep that totally separate. Yeah, like now we have no idea how much money we have at all, which is... Wait, crazy. right yeah. now you don't, like at all? But For no, the other person, no. Oh, interesting. So you don't know like I have how much savings? No idea. No. Do you want to know? Nope. Or are you curious? No, I don't care. My life is my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't care either. I, I mean, I just... Like, like about to buy a house, which we probably will one day, and then we'll probably share everything then. Like how mm-hmm. much can you put down for a down payment? Blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Yeah, but otherwise, she's going to take care of her life. I'm going to take care of mine. And it's kind of like, why do you need to know it? You know, it's like, as long as the household bills are being paid, like it's none of the other person's business, what they're doing with their money. And they want to make sure that when they do live under the same roof, they have their own dedicated spaces. Like, Sana wants a room where she can just decompress and do her own thing. And Adnan wants to have his own office space. So after all of the things that you've learned, you know, living individually. Um, what are you most nervous about coming back together as a couple? Just getting comfortable again, I guess, and making sure that we are both aware now that our happiness and individuality is our own responsibility. And it is easier to, you know, put yourself away and enjoy mm-hmm. the company of the person you love more than the company of yourself. But it's important to not abandon yourself just because you fall in love with someone else. Sana and Adnan know this option is not for everyone. And really, it seems to have worked for them because they're on the same page about larger things in their relationship. Like if one of them did want to date other people or start a family, then that would be a totally different calculation. They're remarkably aligned when it comes to their life priorities and values, which you could argue is the most important thing anyway. All right, that is all for our show this week. If you have any thoughts about this story or just want to shoot us a note, you can always email me and the team at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. We love hearing from y'all. Also, do not forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter if you haven't already. There are always really great recommendations in there for things to cook or listen to or watch. You can sign up for that at marketplace.org slash comfort. This episode was lead produced by Phoebe Unterman and hosted by me, Rima Hreis. The episode got additional support from producers Camila Kerwin and Peter Balanon-Rosen. 
Zoe Saunders is our senior producer. Our editor is Karen Duffin. Marque Green is our digital producer with help from Tony Wagner. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Donna Tam is the director of On Demand. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, I'll catch y'all next week. We'll be right back.